Hello, welcome back to another episode of the No Vertical Podcast with your host Billy and Alex. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss St. John's becoming the new transfer U, Buffalo climbing up the rankings again, and Syracuse getting their star player Frank Howard back. Um, so just starting off the podcast, um, we're going to start with St. John's and uh, their transition to becoming transfer U. They can't seem to really be recruiting uh, kids out of high school anymore. It seems like Matt Abdomassi and Chris Mullen have been aiming their sights at transfers and going after the transfer market. Um, if you look at their roster right now, half the team has come from transfers. So it seems as though that Matt Abdomassi and Chris Mullen have turned their sights on the JUCO market, um, picking up recruit Cam Mack out of Salt Lake City Community College. Uh, out of high school, he was a three-star recruit and was getting looked at by Stephen F. Austin, actually committed to Stephen F. Austin until he decommitted and went to Hutchinson Community College, where a lot of St. John's faithful know Bashir Ahmed came from, and then decided to sit out at Hutchinson and go and play directly at Salt Lake City. So it's an interesting case in, in his recruiting. I mean, he's a 6'3 point guard, but his, his numbers are incredible in the, at the JUCO level right now, 20, averaging 25 points, 7 assists, and has a three to one assist to turnover ratio. So I mean, you, you can't really incredible, but it also is the JUCO level. So anytime you go down there to recruit, you never really know what you're going to get. I mean, St. John's has gotten lucky previously from JUCO, turning out guys like Bashir Ahmed. Um, they got this year L.J. Figueroa, yeah. who has been going off for them, uh, and. In addition to uh, Cam Mack, they also got Ian Steer this past week. He was listed as a three to four star recruit hovering on the uh, the cusp there for a while. Actually committed to NC State after decommitting from Creighton and decided he is going to transfer to St. John's after playing only one game hmm. um, in which he only played a few minutes Interesting. at NC State. And he didn't, he didn't just decide to uh, list a reason as to why he was transferring, which makes the situation that much weirder. Yeah, that's, that's very but, strange. But he is a 6'9 power forward that St. John's desperately needs, and he could potentially uh, be eligible at the start of next year, considering he only played in, I think, three or four minutes in the opening game for NC State this season. So it'll be interesting to see what St. John's can actually make of these transfers. Um, just going down into it, I'm looking at the Legends Classic. I don't know if you were able to catch those games, but Shamori Pond. He looked, just yeah, he looked very impressive. Lit it up in Brooklyn, his hometown. Um, he really showed why he's shaping up to be a first round pick. I mean, there was a lot of talk last year, and that's why he he decided to come out of the draft that he wasn't a well-rounded player. You know, he couldn't – He all he could do was score. That was the impression a lot of people had of Shamori sure. Pons. And he's really changed a lot of people's minds. I mean, the assists he's had this year have been – some of them have been what you might consider street <laughs> ball. But, I mean, aesthetically, they're beautiful. Sure. He's also been rebounding at a very high level for a guard. But he dil- he still has been showing signs of – playing hero ball, which I know a lot of NBA scouts are a little nervous to see. But at times, St. John's needs it. 
So I don't really know if you can knock right. the kid for for trying to do it all. I mean, he averaged over 30 points in both games in the Legends Classic that eventually got St. John's the dub in the tournament. But his defense is still leaves a little to be desired. And I think that's if, – if scouts are going to hurt him for anything, it's going to be – Yeah. And, Although, I mean, be, at the NBA yeah, to level – to be fair, the, the game is – obviously shifting away from defense as a priority. So it's not going to hurt him to a point where he's not going to be signed by anybody or drafted by anybody. Exactly. And he's, he's shown that he's able to score at only six. Right. So he's, he's scoring over a lot of bigger players, especially in the paint. So his draft stock shouldn't be hurt too much for staying home again this season. But as a whole for St. John so far, the three-point defense is plaguing this team. They're, they're allowing these, I'm not going to say inferior teams, because a lot of these squads have looked good right. so far, but not, not incredible you know, teams. They're letting them hang around, hang around because of the three-point defense. You, know, you can't let a Division I player, I don't care what team he's on, shoot wide-open mm-hmm. threes. And a lot of that you know, comes back down to C.D. Keita being out um, for at least another couple weeks at the minimum. Um, so there's really no one down low. So a lot of times it, it seems like St. John's is, is sticking to playing home and not coming out to defend the three, which seems to be biting them game after game. In addition to that, you know, you're getting foul trouble, just like how Syracuse is in getting into a little foul trouble as of late. You, you get Marvin Clark with four fouls playing down low, a position that he's not even supposed to be playing because of the lack of front court that, that St. Right. John's has. And it's kind of a recipe for disaster. And as I know a lot of St. John's faithful have seen, Mullen is not willing to play the freshman that he has, including Josh Roberts, the only real true four that they have on the team right now. So it, it, the combination of all those things is looking like it could hurt St. John's Maybe not the rest of their out-of-conference schedule, but certainly once they start Big East play. Yeah, anytime you have a team that's not defending the three very well, they're always at a risk of letting a team that's not up to their caliber, so to speak, creep back up and be competitive in any game. So that's always going to be a point of emphasis to tidy that up. But one thing that has emerged um, in, in Queens this year has been the newcomers, Mikey Dixon and L.J. Figueroa. I mean, L.J. Figueroa gets a lot of attention now, um, as he should, because let's be real, he's the third best scorer St. John's has right now behind Pons and Mustafa Heron. But Mikey Dixon is silently creeping his way into the discussion. I mean, the kid's off 20 minutes a game, coming off the bench, playing behind Shamori Pons, averaging eight points, five and a half rebounds, and 3.2 assists a game. I mean, he wasn't the freshman of the year in the uh, MAAC for no reason for Quinnipiac. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of talent there. You know, it's just a matter of if Mullen can put it, put it together. And that's been the story for a long time. And as he's shown, he's very hesitant using the freshman that we have. So it's looking like they're going to use a seven-man rotation, which, you know, if you're looking back at the previous couple seasons, hasn't in John's favor. Sure. I, and, you know, that kind of relates to – hits home for me too because Jim Beheim usually likes to keep a 
smaller roster himself, so I definitely know that that struggle. Hopefully, this upcoming game, they are playing Georgia Tech tomorrow, uh, December 1st at noon down in Miami, so it's a neutral court game, which is going to hurt St. John's, you know, in terms of strength of schedule, but it should be their last test until they get into conference play. So this is going to be a big game for St. John's. And hopefully Mullen is able to manage uh, the personnel properly in this one. And I think it, it's going to be an all-around team effort. You're going to need uh, the play of uh, Mustafa Heron. You're going to need LJ Figueroa. And you're going to need Pons all to contribute. Now, I mean, last game they played Maryland Eastern Shore, which was an absolute blowout. But it was the one takeaway that we did get from that game was that the scoring is there. You don't need Pons to contribute 30 points to win a game. You know, granted, the, the competition level, they're one of the worst teams in D1, but you were able to see flashes from Mikey Dixon. Um, LJ Figueroa was able to shine. Of course, Heron had that incredible uh, Statue of Liberty dunk <laughs> over, over uh, one of the forwards. So th- the talent is there. It's just a matter of if Mullen can see what the defense is presenting and make the proper adjustments because St. John's cannot play zone well. When they face up against the zone defense, it's, it's always a nightmare for them. So if Mullen can manage his team and practice that zone, I think that they'll be able to make the tournament with the weak schedule that they mm-hmm. do have. It's, it's just going to be a matter of if everyone's coming to play game in and game out. Game out. Right. I mean – yeah, I feel like effort can always be a determining is always a determining factor for especially college teams cuz you're you're never sure which team you're going to get and it also depends on who they have available and who's showing up that night. So if it sounds like they're relying a lot on Shamori Pons, so if he doesn't come out one night like what are they going to look like, you know? Exactly. And and there has been flashes where they haven't required Pons nearly as much as last season. I mean, the talent is much better than it was last year. It's just a matter of will they fall in line together when they need it to happen. As we um, pivot on that, let's move on to your Syracuse Orange and their uh, big couple games, big win against Colgate, where the offense shined pretty well, and the the big win over Ohio State. Yeah, they – They've surprised me in the last couple of games in their ability to score the ball. Usually I'm, I'm used to them averaging around 50 or 60 points a game, and they've been up in the 70s multiple times this year, which has been pretty nice to see that they're able to get things going. And um, this was actually like the last two games where they're two out of the five games, two of their lowest scoring games, and that's a pretty good sign, even though they are relying heavily on three scores primarily, but they are getting some contributions from the the top three guys off the bench in being uh, Marek Dolajai, uh, Barama Sidibe, and Jalen Carey. Although Jalen Carey, obviously, who's the freshman point guard who is pretty highly touted coming out of school, of high school, um, he's kind of been a letdown in the terms of he had a 24-point game against, um, I believe it was UConn when they played and obviously lost, but he still had 
a 20-point-plus game. And I, fi- I was hoping that he would continue that. But anytime you have – and we'll, I'll touch on this a little bit later, but anytime you have your starting point guard return and replace – you're not going to get as much opportunity. So I'm still expecting him to pick it up a little bit more throughout the season, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, The big storyline for Syracuse has obviously been the return of Frank Howard. He hasn't put up very big or any flashy point totals or anything like that. But in the same breath, he's clearly a very integral part of the team in maintaining – structure and maintaining focus in the offense itself and he also is a outstanding player on in that zone so they miss him in a couple different aspects for sure and just his maturity and he's been there um but yeah since he's come back Syracuse has looked like a completely different team more cohesive and more put together you know they're able to keep everybody in line and they're playing even more aggressively, I would I would say on the offensive end. Um, so once Frank Howard starts to get it going on defense on offense a little bit more, I'm expecting them to start flowing even more and getting a little bit more competitive. Um, I wanted to touch on how the AP Top 25 turned out this week and how Syracuse looks like in the AP poll is getting eight votes to be in the top 25 and in the coaches poll, they got seven. So that's nice to see that they're getting some recognition about being back in the top 25, obviously having fallen out after those two losses to UConn and Oregon, but I'm expecting it to be a little bit of a long road. And I don't think we'll get back into that top 25 until we maybe until we face Buffalo. And if we are able to beat Buffalo, I think that would give us a, good opportunity to get into the top 25 but as of right now I don't see a ton of shake up in that that poll so yeah you mentioned Frank Howard coming back I mean the guy fits into the to the zone defense perfectly a 6-5 guard up up at the top you can't really go wrong there so having that will definitely help out their defense for sure and I'm sure as he gets more acclimated back into the back into play the offense will follow too um yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the uh, losses to Oregon and UConn um, impacting their, their votes that they're getting. I, I, like you said, I, I think with time they'll be able to claw their way back into the top 25. I mean, they have uh, some gimme games coming up, but they also have Georgetown and, like you mentioned, Buffalo before they even go into conference play. So hopefully, you know, if they're able to compete at the level that Bayheim is hoping they can, they'll be able to crack the top 25 once again, just like hopefully the Red Storm will be able to get back into the top 25 for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it looks like from what I'm seeing on ESPN that St. John's got 19 votes in the AP poll and eight votes, nine votes in the coaches poll. So both teams are trending upward in in that respect. And to touch back on Frank Howard and that defense, um, he's since I believe two years ago, he's been in the top 10 in the nation in steals. So I can, we can fact check that a little bit, but at least (laughs) last year he was one of the leading steal getters in the nation. And that's just a a testament to how well he understands his own and 
how well he fits into the zone and his ability to create turnovers with that length that you talked about. But I think that, like you said, once he starts getting in the flow of the game a little bit more, he'll start to mesh even better. And the the one surprise for me this season has been Elijah Hughes. I mean, he was not supposed to be one of our best recruits, not being highly touted coming out of high school. I mean, obviously he's uh, – I think he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, but he's been averaging ten plus point, fifteen plus points in the last two games, um, and has been one of our most consistent scorers. And last game against Ohio State, he was four for nine from the three-point line, which was very helpful in getting a little bit more opening in the in the lane for Ty's battle to create. Um, and I feel like I should just mention Ty's battle a little bit because. He's been, he's been a little bit underproductive from what he was anticipated to be scoring this season coming in on that uh, preseason Player of the Year award, uh, the Wooden Watch, and he was debating coming out of school last year, so everybody was expecting him to be averaging probably 20-plus, 20 25-plus a game, and then... He's been playing down himself a little bit, but to be fair, he is he still has led the the orange in scoring, and I believe four out of the five game, uh, six games that they played so far. So clearly, still playing well, but I expect him to pick it up a little bit more as the year goes on, too. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the slight struggle that the battles had this year. I mean, he's still averaging eighteen a game, which is still tops for the orange, which. You know, in any offense, that's you're going to be the pr- pretty much premier scorer with, with that amount. But I'm looking at his three-point percentage and really the rest of the team's three-point percentage, and I think that's an area that really hurts the team Absolutely. this year. I mean, they're shooting 27% from three. Uh, it's it's pretty hard to develop solid offensive schemes when, when you're shooting so poorly. And the opponents, I mean, with the statistics that we have now, definitely know that. So... Do I see Syracuse turning around their their three-point shooting? We'll see. You know, do I see Tyus Battle taking control of games down the stretch, especially going into conference play? 100%. Yeah, you know, Tyus Battle, is, he's a true scorer in all sense of the word or the phrase. So I I think he will be able to certainly achieve what he did last year. And like you mentioned, Elijah Hughes, uh, he's been killing it for, for the Orange as of late. So I'd love to see him progress and maybe also, you know, take, well, maybe not, you know, all the time away from, uh, from Howard, but I definitely would like to see, you know, healthy competition there to push each other to to be better. Yeah. And I think Frank Howard came into this year prior to knowing that he was, obviously he's been dealing with a, a little bit of a nagging injury, but I think he definitely came in at, knowing he'll be the number two guy. And Elijah Hughes has been competing with him for that spot. So um, I think that that competition is going to be a healthy sort of competition. Um, And then last person I want to touch on is O'Shea Brissett, who is just always a very solid player for the Orange. He's one of our our top rebounders, and he's uh, consistently getting to the free throw line still. So, He's 
a pretty good guy to rely, fall back on when we need a, a rebound and we need somebody to get to, get us to the line. So he's coming along nicely. He still needs to develop that outside jumper quite a bit, but he I think that with time that'll come as well. So I'm expecting good things from him this year too. Okay. And moving on to everyone's favorite mid-major and the only team currently ranked in the top 25 in this podcast, there you go. the University of Buffalo <laughs> Bulls. Um, they currently, they just had a game today at 5.30 a.m., huh. you know, convenient for everyone to watch. Where was that? It was over in Belfast, oh, Ireland. Good. And, uh, yeah, so they're playing in the uh, Hall of Fame uh, classic that's being held, the Belfast Classic in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. They beat their opponent today in what was a little bit closer of a game than I think they expected to be having uh, against University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Mm. It, was, it was pretty close. I think it was about a three-point game with about three minutes to go in the first half. But, you know, the floodgates opened and Buffalo stretched that lead out to nine going into the uh, second half. And then from there, you know, the overpowering offense between Jeremy Harris and, and Perkins, who is, you know, everyone's sixth right. man of the year was able to power them forward, and they were able to get a nice, I think, 19-point victory. And, you know, I mean, this team, they've been playing, you know, not, not the greatest competition, similar to St. John's so far. They played Dartmouth, who they beat in a 110-71 to blowout. Marist in a 76-49, to just absolute defensive nightmare game against Marist. And a, like I said, the 96-77 win against Milwaukee. I mean, this team is deep, and and they're a big threat that I think a lot of people didn't see coming, even though they had an outstanding year last year. You know, I, I saw an article um, written that listed them, along with Michigan, which I still still baffles right. me. You know, you make it to the national championship game as, as teams that have been overachieving and kind of came out of nowhere to surprise people. Um, I mean – this team is balanced in all sense of the words. You know, they have CJ Massenburg who can get you 40 plus points. Yeah. I.E. that game versus West Virginia. You have Graves who's been an athletic freak out there. Nick Perkins, you know, the perennial six man of the year kids, incredible. And Jeremy Harris, who up until Milwaukee hasn't really been, you know, shooting the ball that well, but he was able to uh, break his cold streak uh, this morning, I should say, I was about to say <laughs> this night. Um, so yeah, I mean the team, the team looks as balanced as ever. Nate Oates, once again, give him a lot of the credit. You know, he assembled this team. He finds ways to encourage his players, spread the ball. The only thing that I think they can work on a bit is when teams try to slow them down. Half court you know, offense, you mean? Yeah, they they love the the tempo you know they love to push the ball and i think like you mentioned before when they play a team like syracuse who is going to try and put the clamps on them defensively i think that's really where they're going to have to like plan extremely well to try and not just you know rely on the three ball jacking up threes that syracuse kind of is going to force right syracuse with that with that zone syracuse is typically not Super shown this year, but they're typically good at extending that zone and force and 
taking away three-pointers from teams. So it'll be interesting to see the schemes that Nate Oates tries to come up with to counteract some of those. Yeah, I mean, they've shown that they can adapt to win games, and I think that was pretty clear in their game against West mm-hmm. Virginia. Um, the only thing is, you know, you want Jeremy Harris to be able to shoot that three and to have confidence he's going to make that three. And up until the game, like I said, against Milwaukee, that confidence wasn't really there so far this year. But he has been facilitating. Right. You know, he, he, he's shown that he can adapt his game um, to get other guys involved and get other guys scoring. Um, I, I mean, I really like this team. And I was, I was actually expecting them to be ranked a little bit higher than 21, to be honest, coming into right. this week. Um, I was thinking they were going to probably end up around 19, but a lot of bigger schools, a lot of bigger programs ended up jumping them in the rankings this week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if they're able to take out the other mid-major powerhouse out on the West Coast, who they'll be playing tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., you know, a little, a little better, a little nicer mm-hmm. on us, uh, in San Francisco, because that team is also 7-0 and seven and to start the year. So it'll, it'll be interesting, you know, they... San Francisco's coming off a blowout of Stephen F. Austin right. over in Belfast as well. So that game, you know, it's going to be definitely one to watch for sure because one of those teams are coming back home still undefeated and going to have bragging rights yep. as the uh, as a solid there mid-major program to watch. So, I mean, pretty much my biggest takeaways so far for, for these three teams are they just got to keep winning the games because you know it's they need to pick up any wins that they can going into conference play actually i think that that applies to the saint john's red storm um you know going into a season where you anticipated being loaded with talent i know that you schedule typically sometimes years ahead of time but they did not do themselves any favors with the way that they scheduled and Unfortunately, the Big East is also looking pretty down this year. I mean, they, they had a pretty solid comeback. They were able to win four holiday tournaments during Feast Week. But, you know, if there's any team that can't afford to lose games in the out-of-conference, it's yeah. definitely St. John's. Yeah, and that, that goes to, like you said, that goes for all the teams. They just need to play up for all of their games. They can't play down to their competition. And I know that's typically hard for a lot of, college teams to do but if they want to be competitive and if they want to ensure that they're not going to fall out of the rankings and fall into the non the non crucial teams in the in the country they're going to have to play up to everybody and not take anybody for granted that's for sure exactly exactly and, you know, as a, as a closing point here, I think it'll be important to note that, uh, you know, UB still has that opportunity if they do win this game to pad their at-large bid. So in the event that they do end up, like, for some reason losing the MAC, they'll have that possibly to fall back on because of the way oh, that yeah. they did schedule and because of the opponents that they loaded onto their out-of-conference. So that'll close out. I thank the rest of this podcast. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, We are on all mediums of podcasts, um, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Uh, 
Also, you can follow us on Twitter at No Vertical. Um, thanks for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the season. Thanks, I know we will.